it is a long-term commitment that's going to fundamentally change the way that you actually do business. Hi, I'm Darren Woolley, founder and CEO of Trinity P3 Marketing Management Consultancy, and welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media, and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today, I'm sitting down with someone who has worked around the world in marketing, media, and advertising, from Asia to North America, and now here in Australia. A B-Lab trained B-consultant and a graduate of the Australian Institute of Company Directors, he's a partner and strategist for the Growth Activists, a strategy and engagement consultancy, and he's here to discuss the trends in ESG and the impact this will have on media, marketing and advertising. Please welcome to Managing Marketing, Rob Schwartz. Welcome, Rob. Darren, absolutely fantastic to be here and thank you for making the time today. Well, no, thank you, because look, this is an area that I often feel that marketing and particularly advertising are a little bit behind in. You know, it's like the corporate world is moving forward on the agendas that were set up by uh, the UN around their sustainability goals, and that it's having a trickle-down effect. First of all, trickle-down market by market, but also within organisations, trickle-down to marketing and advertising. Do you think that's a fair summation or am I sort of being a bit harsh? I think that is quite accurate in terms of actually looking at the start point for sustainability initiatives. One of the questions we get asked from clients is really around are these sustainability initiatives going to drive consumer choice and consumer demand? And if that's the only qualifier they're they're actually looking for, then our answer is is no. Mm -hmm. Um, It is apparent in in some categories more than other. If you look at fashion and retail, it is becoming a clear decider of choice of one brand over the next. But across FMCG, across beverages, is it really a decider for consumer choice at this point in time? No, not necessarily. But I think if you actually look at the cumulative impact of actually applying sustainability strategies and not look at a direct output as being advertising and communications, it's going to have a much more significant impact both on your business, but also on your client's business. Yeah. So it's interesting because ESG is something, from our perspective, we've been talking with procurement, for instance, for we five love procurement. <laughs> well, for five or six years, it's been on their radar, and increasingly they've wanted to, when they're involved in selecting, for instance, advertising agencies or any suppliers, they're adding more and more criteria to a tender to make sure that the suppliers comply with things like you know, Modern Slavery Act, uh, Zero Net. Uh, and things like that. You know, the, the, this is almost like a checklist that they're bringing to it. But it's interesting then when you talk to, for instance, corporate strategy or corporate comms, it's much more on their agenda as an operating model. I think when you're looking at different points of entry of ESG into an organisation, you're going to get different motivators and different drivers. If you're looking at it from a point of view from a CMO, for example, 
it's going to be, is it going to actually generate demand? How do we actually build this into our uh, demand generation capabilities? If you're talking to a CFO, for example, more and more, increasingly, they're actually being asked to develop ESG and sustainability strategies to look at how to actually refinance and provide a credible narrative back to the market and, and their investors as well. Point of entry of, of HR and, and people and culture, it's around you know, employee motivation, it's employee retention, and more and more now it's actually about actually having a purpose and a sustainability strategy to bring people on board. You know, some of the um, uh, HR teams that we've spoken to just in the last six months, they're saying it's actually quite amazing that um, two, three years ago, sustainability and ESG wasn't on a list of any questions that respondents would actually, or, you know, candidates would actually look at, at asking. And now they're coming in and going 30 to 40% are actually not just questioning us on our sustainability strategies, but they're actually interrogating us. Uh, and we need to actually have the answers if we're going to become a, an employer of choice. Yeah, it's interesting because that change is occurring, isn't it? And it's interesting that you highlight the the uh, employment market or the talent market in a way because individuals are making those decisions around where they want to work. You know, perhaps that's a function of uh, our global low unemployment rate or maybe it's, uh, you know, some people point to the global pandemic as as a time when people start to reevaluate what was important to them. But it's uh, it's really has become a big issue, particularly in the past couple of years. Well, I think the pandemic in particular was actually a time of reflection, not just for individuals, but for businesses and corporations themselves. I think when you actually look at the impact of the pa pandemic as well, I think from a, a, a global and national perspective, there was such a focus on the interconnectivity between all of us as individuals, all of us as countries, all of us as 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 people that are making choices on a day-to-day -day basis around how we behave, how we operate, and how we actually choose the things we uh, purchase and, and engage with, you know, particularly from an, an employer level as well. So that period of reflection uh, has been reflected back in terms of, you know, you look at the uh, impact it's had on businesses queuing up for B Corp certification. So for those that aren't, aren't aware of what a B Corp certification is, it's one of the world's most recognized all of business certifications for sustainability. It cuts across five key areas, not just the E, not just the S, or not just the G in ESG, but really looks at communities, workers, customers, governance, and the environment with an interrogation of up to 170 questions that drill down into data points of how many people are on your leadership team uh, uh, who are female? How are you actually serving underserved communities? Uh, how are you actually interrogating your supply chain? Do you know the supply chain of your supply chain? So the level of detail and interrogation in the certification itself is quite uh, in-depth. But when you actually look at the value of the certification, right now there's around 5,400 B Corp certified globally. Uh, just in the last 18 months, there have been another 6,000 businesses that have actually uh, prepared themselves for verification and got into the certification queue. So you're looking at almost a, a doubling in size of a set of businesses who want to be aligned with a community who are sharing the same values, the ones who are actually basically making a very public commitment to their uh, overall ESG and sustainability practices, and have actually demonstrated the proof 
through independent verification that they are credible and can actually stand behind that claim. And uh, yeah, it's the exciting thing for me is the fact, Rob, that you know when I first heard about B Corp, it was small to medium enterprises, and now we're seeing lots of very large enterprises also getting B Corp certification. Now, having talked to people that have been certified, you know, on a small for a small business, the rigor and the detail that they said you need to go through, you know, this is not a rubber stamp, is it? This is, you know, a, a very detailed assessment of the organisation, their practices, their philosophies, that type of thing. To do that for a very large company it must be a phenomenal exercise. It's a phenomenal exercise, but also takes commitment from the board down in terms of actually the, not just the outcome of the certification, but the process to actually get there. Um, one group that we've actually been working with has gone through the certification process for about two and a half to three years. The level of, of detail that was required in terms of their global practices, uh, because they're um, located in Australia, North America, mm -hmm. Europe, Asia, but not South America, uh, all of their global practices, being able to actually consolidate that, and then be able to actually demonstrate through proof and data that they've actually demonstrated um, actions on their commitments and then delivered on those, on those actions as well. So for a large organization, again, it can take up to two and a half to three years. If you look at someone who recently certified uh, Nespresso, they've recently certified globally as well. And if you look at the amount of investment they've spent into their supply chain, ensuring that their farmers are actually well taken care of, that uh, they're fairly paid, that you know, the, the carbon emissions in their supply chain are being mitigated and being and being reduced. So there's and, been... and it's not just saying it. As you said, they have to supply the data to support it. Uh, look, and the reason I, want, I wanted to pick on this particular point is that, you know, we see certifications flying around the world, you know, like COCO. You know, there was a official certification, then some businesses started producing their own certification, you know. But this is actually quite a rigorous and, and detailed process. It would be very hard to do this as a rubber stamp exercise, wouldn't it? You it's, would have to commit the whole business to it. If, if you're looking at it a, at a, as a rubber stamp exercise, then don't touch it Yeah, um, is, my, is my recommendation. There needs to be a commitment to actually really significantly look, look at business improvement and actually commit to that improvement as well. But in the businesses that we've worked with going through the certification process as well, we find that there's almost three groups of businesses that we're working with. They're the ones who are doing it and documenting it. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who are doing it but not documenting it. So there's fragmented initiatives all over businesses yeah. and all over organizations and bring that all together. Then they're the they're ones who aren't doing it, do want to do it, and do want to document it. So we look at those as being the real aspirational ones in terms of being able to actually provide them with a roadmap for certification. That's a little bit of a, a longer roadmap as well. Mm. So when you actually fall into those sort of three groups, I think if you look at that first group that we're doing it and we're documenting it, uh, you can look at a more of an accelerated timeline to certification and verification. The ones who are in the aspirational space, we want to do it, we want to make the commitment, we're not doing anything right now, give it some time. Trinity P3.
Now, this is quite different for those that don't or aren't familiar with B Corp certification. It's quite different to those companies that just say they're purpose-driven, isn't it? Because there's a lot of companies that... Uh, Darren, yeah. don't start me off with purpose-driven. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, no, I think the, the reason I, I wanted to raise this is that there is a lot of cynicism in the marketplace, you know, that there is clearly a trend, there is a consumer trend, and you mentioned it earlier, you know, fast fashion, the fashion industry, because there is now alternatives that are coming out and offering an alternative that has less impact on the world, and in fact, in some cases, is funding doing good, there's a big difference between just being purpose-driven, i.e. Hang, hanging up a shingle, and actually having a certification that shows that it's not just a marketing or sales exercise, it is actually a way of doing business, isn't it? It's a fundamental way of changing business. Yeah. And I think for the industry themselves, you know, the label greenwashing didn't appear out of nowhere. The, the industry has created its own rod on its back by actually potentially making claims that weren't able to be substantiated. Mm. Uh, I mean, even, even recently there was a study that came out with a well-known global beverage company that produced green bottles. Yeah. <laughs> and part of the statement there was, well, we're actually going to move from green plastic bottles to white plastic bottles because you, you can recycle the bottles. And the response of their consumer base was, you've got to be kidding. Yeah. You're actually creating a bottle that you can recycle. Like, that is a hygiene factor now. Yeah. You know, show me something where we're actually collecting plastic from oceans and turning it into bottles. Show me what you're doing in terms of that circularity of the supply chain around where you're getting your products from, how you're actually investing into your supply chain to ensure it's sustainable. Then what are you doing with end-of-life product? So there is a cynicism which has been self-perpetuated by the industry. Um, will they be able to backtrack from it? I think they, they can, but there needs to be, I think, a almost a clear set of criteria and, and filters to ensure that any type of claims are both credible and provide value back to the consumer as well. Well, I know there's a movement uh, you know, globally and, and locally as the um, Comms Declare and the uh, Fossil Ad Ban group. And you know, they're, they're pulling up examples of greenwashing where fossil fuel companies are running advertising that's got the, you know, the uh, windmills generating electricity and, and uh, showing EV cars and things like that, proclaiming from a marketing perspective that they're purpose-driven to to reach zero net right at the same time their overall investment in that is like less than five percent while they're still making 95 percent of their profits out of mining and selling fossil fuels this is the type of story that creates huge amounts of cynicism in the marketplace you know this type of blatant greenwashing that makes the consumer even more sceptical about those that are trying to do good? I think if you actually look at the root issue, I mean, for example, we recently did a, a carbon audit for a client and advertising was ranked as number three in terms of carbon production. Mm. 
So, you know, it wasn't their supply chain. It wasn't flying things in from the U.S. and wasn't flying things in from, from Asia. It wasn't flying, you know, anywhere business class for their executives. It, it was advertised. Let's take a bit of a step back and actually look at really what the fundamental issue is for the industry. And the manifestation, I think, of one of these issues is greenwashing. But where the industry is and can have a significant impact is really in that production and distribution uh, of the work that's actually being created, being looking at, uh, you know, what are the carbon neutral initiatives that can be put forward? How do we actually ensure that we're tracking and measuring um, any type of uh, carbon that's being produced as a result of what we're actually putting out into market? So, you know, different areas to actually have uh, impact versus just the greenwashing advertising. Trinity P3. It's interesting that there is starting to see, to use a appropriate metaphor, green shoots of, of change in that we've had a number of clients starting to look at their scope three, their mm-hmm. up, up, up um, stream and downstream, and are starting to ask media agencies and the media owners to decarbonise those supply chains. We've even had WPP and and Group M globally Mm -hmm. start to measure the media owners to see what their carbon contribution is. Yeah, this is starting to see some change, but you wonder a little bit because, you know, in the case of WPP, they've got companies that are, you know, they've got clients, for instance, that are major polluters as well. You know, it's very hard to reconcile the two. Are are you in the group that says uh, slow change or any change is better than none or that it's either on or it's off? Uh, There's actually a third group, Darren. Okay. Well, (laughs) that's great because I don't like dichotomies, but uh, give me, what's the third group? We'll triangulate that one for you. The third group is actually change from the inside. And, And I think that's really looking at, sort of fundamental principles around ESG, you know, even if you look at the, the, the philosophy around B Corp, it really is around, we work with for-profit businesses only. You cannot actually create systemic change if you're not a profitable business. Profit's not an, an, an evil word. So, you know, being able to actually take that approach and go, there is fundamental systemic change that needs to happen and, and, and be created. That actually does need to happen from the inside of a lot of businesses, organizations, and, and potentially even government. Um, so, yes, I'm in the third camp of uh, make the change, make it happen from the inside. And uh, even within the, uh, if you want to call it the most impact, negatively impactful organizations, you're still going to have advocates that will actually be those um, catalysts for change. See, I love that because it was either or, and now there's a opportunity there with the third, which is actually internal revolution, isn't it? Or evolution. Revolution or evolution? Um, I think it's actually evolution. I think it's evolution. I think when you're looking at the, again, going back to systemic change, even within organizations, these changes are not going to happen overnight. These changes are not going to happen in the next six months. Even getting your baseline measurement of what you're actually impacting right now is a you know three to four month exercise. So I think in terms of the evolution versus revolution, I think it's a long-term revolution. I think we're on this path. 
um, regardless. And there's no turning back only because we're seeing, I think, the consequences if we go back to old patterns of behavior and decision making. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting that you, uh, that you say that, that about evolution because, you know, there's this uh, pressing desire, you know, this sense of urgency especially around the environment, especially around the, the climate crisis. But long-term sustainable um, change very rarely happens by revolution, mm. right? Because you have to take people with you. And yet the people, the, the media love covering things that are revolutionary, right? So the um, investor... Uh, advocacy of buying into AGL, for instance, mm-hmm. you know, buying up shares and and demanding a seat on the board. The recent uh, Patagonia family announcement of, you know, putting the, basically putting the whole company in a trust, which will then put all profits. These are the sorts of big gestures mm-hmm. and revolutionary business gestures that get the media attention. And I'm wondering if it's also, you know, the, the people that are doing the hard yards and the long yards, you know, as you said, years and years and years of bringing about this transformation. How do we recognise them and how do we make sure that that's also recognised? Because in the model I gave you before, Rob, if it's either this or it's this, there's lots of recognition and rewards. In your model, it's about an evolution that may not necessarily reward the people doing those hard yards. I think the the evolution versus revolution implies that through an evolution, there's no impact and no benefit that can be seen today. And I think, you know, there there is that component of, you know, if we go back to the ESG as well, if we take the S in, in, the, in the ESG, that's really around, you know, people, that's around social. Those changes can be made um almost immediately you know one of the examples you mentioned earlier around the uh, modern slavery uh, act and having agencies actually signed to declare that they're not actually participating in any type of modern slavery that's a fairly straightforward initiative that can actually take place within a business for for immediate action as well and if you're actually Recognizing over $100 million in revenue every year, it's actually a legal obligation to have a Modern Slavery Act um, posted publicly as well. Mm. So I think the revolution versus evolution, things are moving at different speeds. Um, They're not necessarily moving at concurrent speeds, you know, in terms of environmental changes versus social changes uh, versus the governance needs or can be escalated in, in different businesses as well. So everything's moving at different speeds. The environment, ESG and sustainability environment is actually changing quite rapidly as well. So we talk about, you know, things like B Corp and GRI standards and SABs. And you actually, I think, we'll start to see an amalgamation of some of these frameworks and standards over the next um, two to three years. Uh, even B Corp themselves actually are going through a re-evaluation process of their standards with the anticipation of actually coming out with a new set of standards in 2023. And if you think those standards are tough now, <laughs> wait till the next lot of standards come, come out. And they start to raise the bar. Yeah. And you know, there, there's no looking back on this. It's gonna be if you're not if you haven't caught up now and you're trying to play catch up, 
trying to play catch up in the next two years as well is going to be nigh to impossible. Trinity P3. I, I, I'm also wondering whether the, it goes to what is the motivation to actually embrace ESG you know, or to embrace doing good, right? Because you, you sort of touched on it earlier, you know, if, if the board of a large organisation or the founders of a smaller organisation are committed to this transformation, then if they're doing it to get publicity or doing it to get kudos and recognition in the short term, then it's probably not the right motivation, is it? It's about transforming your business for long-term uh, sustainability and success rather than getting the... Show. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm playing the devil's advocate here in that I think sometimes people make these grand gestures because they want the recognition now. But in actual fact, we've had 100 years or more of the Industrial Revolution. It's now time to you know, transform, and that's not going to happen overnight. But we should be recognising the people that are making the effort to transform it over time. I think let's look at the ideas of sustainability and sustainable as um, mutually compatible. You need to actually, at this point in time, create your business on the principles of sustainability to have a sustainable business. There, there's no two ways about it. So, you know, let's, let's separate the two terms and look at sustainability and, and sustainable as being these two concepts which can work together actually, I think, quite well. Mm. I think to your point in terms of recognizing the uh, businesses and groups that are actually doing it incredibly well, um, they don't necessarily need to stop to stand at the top of the mountain and and declare their intentions or declare their their successes. They're actually just they're just getting on with it, getting on with it, and doing um, the job, and doing their job, and not necessarily feeling the ego. Let's park it there. Let's let's call it the ego to actually go out and and make these grandiose. Uh, announcements where we are seeing it actually in terms of being able to add value to businesses as well as really actually through um, investor relations uh, being able to actually look at the conversations and the pushback that um, shareholders are actually driving out of, out of businesses and companies right now as well uh, there needs to be an ESG or sustainability strategy put in place to react to those shareholder demands as well um, where you I think you're seeing some areas where there might be a bit of um, not necessarily neglect, less commitment to ESG strategies is where, is where it's around compliance. Mm. So we have to be doing what we're doing. Um, we're not doing it because we're actually looking at transforming our business. We're not looking at doing it because we want to create a sustainable business on the principles of sustainability. We're doing it because we have to. Mm. What you said earlier about, you know, it, from a marketing perspective, that the CMA will be sitting there going, well, do I embrace this if it's going to give me greater market share or a competitive advantage? You know, in some ways, that's the short-term view, mm -hmm. whereas the long-term view is this is the right thing to do. It's better to be a leader than being told that you have to do it. And, and I bring that up because... You know, in 2006, 2007, 
we started talking to the marketplace about measuring marketing CO2 contributions or greenhouse gas emissions. And people were going, oh, you know, because at that time it was all about offsetting. And everyone saw it as a, another cost of business. But in actual fact, it's now got to the point that if you don't do anything, there will be a significant cost to business because there is a, you know, already, again, a move towards a cost of carbon. And marketers that actually embrace now and measure their CO2 contributions and look for opportunities of reducing those are going to not be hit by that cost of carbon. You know, that in many ways, moving to your point, sustainability and being sustainable or, or, or embracing sustainable means reducing the cost of business. Does that make sense? Reducing the cost of business, but I think you've hit the nail on the head in terms of actually the shift from these initiatives being a cost to actually being an investment. Yeah. So, you know, um, reduced uh, reduced financial costs as well. So, you know, being able to renegotiate better lending terms for any type of debt facilities or, or lending facilities that are out there. That's a significant cost mm -hmm. that can actually be saved. Uh, not having to reinvest in terms of any type of carbon offsets, but actually aiming for being carbon negative. Yeah. You know, these are sort of really some key, um, both cost savings, but also I think financial gains that businesses can actually make by having shifted that mindset from this is a cost to actually this is an investment we need to make. Mm. With a return on that investment. With a return on that investment. Trinity P3. What do you see are the big considerations then for marketers? You know, when their organisation either is embracing a, 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 um, an ESG uh, program or even B Corp certification, what is the thing that marketers should be thinking about and what should agencies that work with those marketers be thinking about? I think what they should be thinking about is once that commitment is made, it's a significant commitment to actually both develop your ESG strategies, but then implement and measure your ESG strategies. It's not something that's going to go away. It's not something which is going to be a you know, one-off product benefit that might disappear six months down the track. But again, it is a long-term commitment that's going to fundamentally change the way that you actually um, do business. Mm -hmm. So it could be everything from where you're actually um, getting your supplies from for your supply chain. Uh, how are those uh, changes and decisions actually going to have potentially even negative consequences. I mean, when we go through and do materiality assess assessments for clients, it's really looking at what's the positive impact and also what's the what's the negative impact in terms of those, those decisions that are actually going to be made. So I think thinking about less the short-term quarter by quarter, but this is actually a commitment to a, a longer-term strategy as well. Um, I think in terms of a, a marketing team as well, it's going to fundamentally change how they operate everything from the production of, of communications that through to distribution through to engaging with suppliers but also engaging with the right suppliers being able to actually ensure that there's a supplier code of conduct in place that you're actually 
measuring and tracking what's actually coming in through your supply chain and actually through your supply chain's supply chain as well mm. and being able to monitor uh, the both the the ethical behavior but then also the the output that actually actually is coming out of your supply chain as well so I think there's the the most significant consideration is that it's going to it, it is going to be a fundamental change to the way you actually do business and it's not just marketing that's going to be impacted it's actually going to be across the organization so in many ways you know because people talk about the marketing transformation that's happened in the last decade of moving to digital and data driven marketing um, now we've got another transformation which is reinventing business and, and marketing as part of that to actually embrace ESG um, guidelines or ESG uh, objectives, aren't we? Well, it's a matter of embracing them and endorsing them and implementing them. And living them. And living them. Yeah. You can endorse all you want, but it's going to come down to the implementation. It's going to come down to the measurement uh, systems you put into place. You know, I think we're looking at what type of you know environmental measurement systems are businesses using using to measure not just their energy consumption but their carbon consumption. How much energy your you know teams are actually using to come to work? Are you actually encouraging um, recruitment from a you know a local level as opposed to actually bringing in people from from overseas? All these things have a significant and cumulative uh, impact. So um, there's been some big organisations, particularly in Australia, that have uh, announced uh, efforts to you know, decarbonise. They've made commitments to decarbonise. So you, uh, you you provided me here a list of ComBank, IAG, Suncorp, Telstra, Westpac, Woolworths. It'd be interesting at what point in their uh, process of achieving this that they're going to then demand that of their suppliers. Well, I think that process is already happening. I think there's a cascading effect that starts to happen. So once it actually cascades from the top down and pushed down through the supply chain, uh, there's going to be an impact to understand where that carbon is being generated through that entire distribution and, and production system as well. So starting from the top, wait until it actually starts to cascade down and, and have that, that um impact further down the chain as well. Trinity P3. The thing that uh, makes me smile, Rob, is that in 2019, we have an online database for agencies to provide their profiles. Mm. And in 2019, we broadened that. So we started asking them for uh, information around ownership, you know, a diversity of ownership, uh, whether they were B Corps or, you know, and, and a number of different areas. And, and I had quite cynical responses from some agencies that said, you know, why would you even bother, you know, and would laugh at uh, agencies that had gone to the trouble of being a B Corp saying, well, you know, it's really not going to uh, make any difference, is it, to, uh, to getting clients. But that's radically changing or rapidly changing, isn't it? I think has radically and rapidly changed. I think if you look at... So three short years. I think if you look at quite a well-known and well-recognized ad agency who's a B Corp in, in London, uh, you know, just in the last, I think, 18 months, down to the last two in a pitch, 
Um, the final question is, what is your sustainability strategy? The response was, we're B Corp, and that got them over the line. Yeah. So, radically different? Possibly. Rapidly, maybe. Rapidly, definitely. And the cynics are the ones that are going to be a little bit left behind. Exactly. Um, if there was uh, looking you know, beyond, because I know I focus a little bit on carbon, it's like the climate, the climate crisis is something that's uh, <laughs> personally important to me. And I think living in a country like Australia, you know, we've seen extreme weather. It's interesting also that uh, Suncorp and IOG are there because insurance companies are particularly um, being impacted from a business perspective by you know this radical or extreme weather changes. But um, ESG is more than just, you know, environment's the E, social and governance. Can you expand on a little bit on those? What are the types of considerations that... Uh, the businesses should be looking to, and particularly advertising agencies? Well, I think when you're looking at the, the assets really around your social contract and your social obligations, so looking at areas like diversity of leadership, um, proportion of women who are actually in leadership roles, uh, support of... Um, uh, support of underserved and under underrepresented populations in your, in your employee base, but then almost extending that into the, the larger community as well. So when and how are you actually engaging with all of your suppliers? How are you treating your suppliers? How and are you engaged? How are you treating your suppliers and how are they actually evaluating you as a, uh, as a, as a customer? Uh, you know, the, the S is probably one of the more difficult, difficult ones to actually measure. Uh, you know, there's different measurements around employee engagement, around employee retention, around length of supplier tenure. Uh, so again, more of the sort of softer measures in terms of actually being able to understand the, the S in ESG mm -hmm. and being able to expand it beyond just that environmental component as well. And governance, I mean, you know, it's interesting. We use terms like governance and due diligence and things like that. But, you know, it actually means holding to account. Doesn't holding it? to account and committing to almost the highest possible ethical standards. But then actually from a governance point of view, being able to actually then put that into, into a implementation phase. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one example might be, um, you know, particularly around advertising. And we'll just move beyond beyond greenwashing and just basically say all of our advertising will be um, ethical. It will not be misleading. It will not make any types of claims that are untrue. Um, you know, actually having that policy in place, documented and recognized throughout the company as actually being a modus operandi for, for the business as well. So it is drilling down and going, okay, from a governance point of view, what and how do we need to put these policy structures and uh, implementation components in, into place mm -hmm. and ensuring that they're being delivered against those that, that framework of almost the highest possible ethics that we can um, live and breathe by. And I think it's so essential because, you know, in, particularly in the last three years, as we've, you know, in our role of helping marketers choose agencies, we really have put an emphasis with agencies on how well are they actually embracing ESG. And what I often get, I, I was once sent 
a 40-page document on their policies around employees, mm -hmm. 40 pages. And I flicked through it and there was things in there that I thought were brilliant. But when I went back and I just spot-checked a few of them, none of the employees knew about it. And <laughs> I, I, I really worry sometimes that, you know, that it could this could easily fall into the trap of just being, yeah, well, we've done that, tick the box and move on. And that's why I think governance is so important, that it doesn't matter what you say, it's what you do that counts. This, this isn't this isn't a smoke and mirrors game. This is this is commitment from a board level down and a board who's increasingly looking at um, particularly environment as being a significant risk. So that's being assessed from from that perspective when they actually have a time horizon of the business of you know three, five, ten years versus the quarter by quarter perspective as well. So that governance is accountable and sits at that level, um, then needs to be delivered throughout the organization. And again, to the point earlier around that board level commitment to ESG, um, again, it's a long-term commitment. It's not about smoke and mirrors. It's not about a written policy. It's about living and breathing these things. Yeah. Look, Rob, it's uh, it's been terrific having this conversation. I really appreciate you making the time because I think this is such an important issue. And if the last three years have shown anything, it's just going to become more and more of a part of the way we do business in the very near future. So thank you for coming in and having a chat. And thank you for your time, Darren. Greatly appreciated. And uh, just before you go, you know, like it's easy to say, who do you think is doing the best? But in your role, which is the biggest challenge? Which company poses the biggest challenge that you'd really love to get your teeth into? Thank you.